You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. All right, it's Christ the King Sunday. Here's how I want to begin. Attila the Hun. 5th century king, if you will, leader of an empire. Genghis Khan, 13th century king, if you will, leader of an empire. Timur, 14th century king, if you will, leader of an empire. Queen Mary I, a.k.a. Bloody Mary, 16th century queen of an empire. Vladimir Lenin, 20th century leader of an empire. Joseph Stalin, 20th century leader of an empire. Adolf Hitler, 20th century leader of an empire. I could go on. Because oftentimes when we hear the language of Christ the King... We oftentimes assume that Christ being king of all the earth somehow subjects nations to his kingship. And so then sometimes we even fall into the trap of thinking that leaders of these nations are in somehow subjection or submission or under the blessing of Christ who is king. Except we wouldn't say so about some of these folks because we know a little bit of our history. But when we start naming U.S. presidents, it becomes a different story. Because we oftentimes think about how nations who place themselves in some sort of language as under God is some sort of confession that Christ is king of that nation. But then we open up the Hebrew Scriptures. And we read about the kings of old, and the pharaohs, and the emperors. And it's not very hard to see, beginning with Pharaoh, extending into some of Israel and Judah's kings, that just because one may even say Christ is king, or in that sense Yahweh is king, doesn't mean that Yahweh's kingship is being received. Are you with me? It's important because we read Romans 13 and other things and we assume that because Christ is king and some sort of nation says God or under God that that somehow means that everything then a nation does is somehow carrying out the will or the decree of God. Beloved from Russia to the United States of America to France to the United Kingdom to Britain to China to Iraq, to Iran, to everywhere in between. Jesus will only be king where Jesus is chosen. And Jesus will only be king ultimately of one people. And that will be the people who have pledged their allegiance to Jesus as king. Colossians 1 becomes a helpful text on Christ the King Sunday. Colossians 1, I try to preach this text at least once every two years. This text has carried me through nights of anxiety, seasons of sadness, and even depression. This text has carried me through some dark hours of the soul 
This text I committed to memory, not because I have a good one, and not because I just want to memorize scripture. This text is a text that proclaims the supremacy of Christ as king. Paul, when he's writing this letter to the Colossian Christians, he's writing this letter and all of a sudden he busts out in the spoken word. He busts out in a rap. He busts out in some sort of poetry. And that's where Colossians 1.15 comes. He's writing this letter. Hey, hope y'all are well. Grace and peace to you. All is good. And then he busts into this song. That's what Colossians 1.15-20 is. This is song. So it has to be received as a song because it's a song of declaration. It's a doxology, if you want to be technical, of the supremacy of Christ who is Lord and King. Let's read it together, y'all. I'll read it for us, Colossians 1.15. Paul writes, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Listen to this. For God in all his fullness. Everybody say all his fullness. God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. It's an extraordinary declaration of the wondrous and beautiful, huge power of God in Christ yet also a beautiful declaration of the intimacy of the Christ who holds all things together, including our lives. Christ the King Sunday can be one of the most hopeful Sundays in the church calendar. It can also be one of the most disruptive Sundays in the church calendar. It can be a Sunday that gives us hope because we remember that we need Christ as King, but it can also disrupt us because we have to remember we may have to take back some allegiance we've pledged in other places to fully pledge our allegiance to Christ as King. So it may do a little disruption as it does a little hope building as well. And that's all right. Because God knows us best. Finish it with me. And loves us most. So we can sit with this. So the Apostle Paul wants us to know, in this text, I think, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who issued the Ten Commandments, including the one commandment that said, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of idols, has now come to us in the person of Jesus, who, Paul said, is the image of the, what? Invisible God. The visible image of the invisible God. This means then, if that's true, that Jesus is Lord and King. 
that Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected that has become the cornerstone. That Jesus is the Lord and therefore our Redeemer. That Jesus is our great high priest and mediator of this new covenant. That Jesus is our advocate and victorious king. That he is our day star and light of the world. He is our prince of peace. That's what this means. Because it's all biblical references. And as John the Apostle teaches us, God had so much to say to the world that he could no longer say it with words on a page. Instead, that the word became a person. Jesus is, as John said, the word made flesh. Jesus is what God has to say to humanity. You want to know what God has to say to you? Look at Jesus. His life, his death, his triumphant resurrection, his glorious ascension as Lord of lords and King of kings. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. If we want to know what God looks like, we look at Jesus. That's what the Christian tradition says. And we know what God is like as king. If you wonder what would God be like as king, like, on, like with feet on the ground, then we can look at Jesus. That's the Christian tradition. See, the scriptures tell us that Jesus preached in the synagogues and demonstrated the presence of God's kingdom in Galilean neighborhoods. That Jesus proclaimed forgiveness of sins and practiced hospitality with people called sinners. That Jesus made the blind see and the disabled able. That he strengthened weakened hands and he straightened crooked legs. That he touched the untouchable leper and he welcomed the unwelcomable lawbreakers. That he hugged the, hugged the hurting and he held the children. There was no one Jesus turned away. Except for sometimes the religious and politically powerful. But he didn't turn him away because he wasn't willing to welcome him. Sometimes his kingship rubs the wrong way. See, the reality of the gospel of Jesus, according to the Christian tradition, is that Jesus' own disciples didn't understand him. At times his family couldn't explain him. And the religious and the political leaders couldn't stand him. So Jesus was called what, y'all? A drunkard, labeled out of his mind. He was rejected by the religious right and lambasted by the religious left. And though none of us might readily admit it, there's a chance that many of us would find Jesus difficult to understand or explain today. See, I've often wondered what it would be like if Jesus came to us right now in this time and place, doing what Jesus did. And I think he would preach in our churches, but he'd probably not get called back. I think he'd demonstrate the presence of God's kingdom in our subdivisions. I think he'd still proclaim forgiveness of sins and practice hospitality with those we consider the worst among us. I think he would make the blind see, but remind us that though we can see, we can still go blind. I think he would prove that the disabled are able, but remind us that the able can always disable themselves. I think he would still strengthen weakened hands, but remind us that sometimes strong hands are actually weak. I think he would still straighten crooked legs, but remind us that straightened legs can sometimes walk along crooked paths. 
I think he would still touch the untouchable and welcome the unwelcomable and remind us that we should always do the same. I think he would still hug the hurting and hold all the little children and remind us that when we hurt, we can come to him with faith like a child and he'll hold us too. See, I think he would remind us of what the Apostle Paul tried to tell us in another letter he wrote to Christians living in a place called Philippi. This letter called Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. In verse 5, where Paul says we should imitate the life of Jesus, that we should make our attitude like that of Jesus. And then listen what the text says. Who, though Jesus is fully God, did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. And the word in the Greek there is the Lord language translates slave. And was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death. Everybody say criminal's death. He died a criminal's death on a cross. He was an enemy of the state. Executed in capital punishment as an enemy of the state. Jesus is the lamb that was slain. And the firstborn from the dead, as scripture says. And he chose in all of his godness. Jesus chose. To demonstrate his power through self-giving, self-emptying love. Not self-serving love. Not self-asserting love. Self-giving, self-emptying love. That is the power that saves love. Not love is sentimentality, not love is feel good, but love that is willing to give of self, even empty of self. Paul goes on to say in Philippians 2, that same text of poetry, verse 9, because of all that, God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor. And gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus the King is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. That is Jesus. That is the Christ who is King. And that is the King we need. No other king can give us what Christ has already given. No other king can demonstrate a power that has, the, that has so much possibility of liberation than the God of heaven and earth who would save the world through a power demonstrated through self-giving and self-emptying love. It's love. The law of the kingdom of God as demonstrated by the king of the kingdom is love. And love's got to look like something. 
See, although it'd be easy to think that a Lord so majestic and magnificent would lack concern for little old you and me, the fact is he made it clear by his coming, by the very first advent, by the whimper of a Christ child 2,000 years ago, that Jesus does love us. This we know, for the Bible tells us so. And so we step into Advent over the next four weeks because we need Advent to remember that in the silence and the darkness of a world committed to violence and anxiety and fear, Christ has come. And that Christ is King. And that will never change. And neither will his kingship over his eternal kingdom of which we have been made citizens and heirs. See, the scriptures tell us in Colossians 1, two verses before the main verse we read earlier, that God the Father has rescued us from the reign of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Y'all, we've been rescued from the reign of darkness. We've been rescued from pledging our fidelity and loyalty to all the other lowercase k kingdoms of the world and transferred into the one kingdom that when all other kingdoms are afoot in the pages of history, that kingdom will still stand. See, see, we're now citizens of a kingdom that is never fickle, will never falter, and will never fail. The kingdom of God will never be in trouble no matter how much trouble Babylon tries to cause. Are you with me? See, his kingdom, his reign of grace, is that fear, is that sphere, it's that sphere, that place of human existence where all of those who've confessed that Jesus is Lord is living and is at work and is living into the power of God's reign that is at work in God's people. That's what the Christian tradition says. And it's the power of God's spirit that's at work among, between, and within God's people demonstrating a kind of power. And here's the problem. Here's the problem because we have a lot of Christianity and I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir but we got to tell a different story. WCC has to tell a different story and that story must be told differently beginning with me and you. But we live in a moment where the church is trying to demonstrate a kind of power that doesn't look like the kind of power of self-giving, self-emptying love. We live in a moment in time where in the name of some sort of Christian faith, people are trying to demonstrate a kind of power that's about coercion and about control and about manipulation. And then we're seduced into believing that that's the kind of power that reflects the kind of king that Jesus is. And it just doesn't. That's not it. Which somehow tried to be roped in to believe that somehow King Jesus will be complicit to our violence. The God of heaven and earth would have rather died on a cross for his enemies than kill them. Jesus would not be complicit nor an advocate of any sort of violence. Are y'all with me? And I don't know for the life of me why sometimes I forget. And so maybe sometimes we get wound up in 364 days. And we think that the Jesus who said, love your enemies. The Jesus who taught his disciples to say, vengeance is God's. The one who said, do not kill. 
The one who would rather die for his enemies than kill him. The one who taught his early followers to die for their enemies rather than kill them. Would somehow give us permission to somehow promote violence. Or to justify it. That's not Christ the King. That may be some other version of Jesus who's reflective of some sort of Babylon, but it's not reflective of the kingdom of God. We're just not going to find it in Scripture, y'all. And I know we'll justify this. We'll justify this in our own human ways, right? But the reality of it is, the people who live and have confessed that Jesus is king are the people who demonstrate a kind of power that's expressed through humble, self-giving love, where humility gives birth to generosity and hospitality. It is a place where faith is the light by which we see the world. It's the light by which we live this side of heaven and both see and walk. It's not some generic faith. It's a faith that rests singularly in the trust and the loyalty of Jesus of Nazareth, who is Lord and King. And that since Jesus is Lord and King, then y'all, he is the only one who has the authority to tell us what is good and what is not and what is just and what is unjust. We do not have the authority to determine what is good and what is not and what is just and what is unjust. No matter how much we reason it, rationalize it with our ethics or even our beliefs, the Jesus of Scripture who is the King is the only one with the authority to tell us what is good and what is right and what is just. We have to choose if we're going to trust Him with it. That's it. And that's hard enough. Christianity is not complicated, it's just hard. We have to choose. The kingship of Jesus has to be chosen. Because one of the things that Paul teaches us is that God looks like Jesus. So the kingdom of God is a place where God's people no longer give in to violence and fear. Because reconciliation and peace has been available to us through Jesus Christ. And He's Lord and He's coming again. And He's made promises. Come on now. We live in accordance to promises. We believe what Isaiah said, that there will come a day when swords will be put into what? Plowshares. Matter of fact, next Sunday we're going to read Isaiah 9, which is that big Advent text, you know, wonderful counselor, prince of peace. And if you read that whole text, there's a section down there that says, His reign will be over all things, and the bloodied garments of war will be no more. That there is coming a time when the violence and the fear and the anxiety and the exclusion that this world promotes and that sometimes us as Christians are complicit to is going to be done away. And what we're called to do is to see the world through that lens and to know that it's happening. That's our conviction is we believe it's coming and then to live like it's coming right now. You with me? Like live like we believe it. Therefore, then, there are things we cannot do because it violates the future that God has promised is to come. And since God is king, he's the only one who can make the decision. We just have to choose. The kingdom of God and the people of God believe that there will come a day when all violence and fear will come to an end and death will be no more. We are called to live like it now.
So Jesus once said in John 14, 23, if anyone loves him, we'll keep trust him. We'll keep our trust in him and do what he says. And then Jesus says, and my father will love you and we will come and make our home with you. That if we want to be home with God, it begins now and it begins learning what it means to have Jesus as king. I know this is disruptive. I know that this sounds political because it is. Because you can't have a king, come on now, of a kingdom with a law and it not be a way of organizing and governing the people called the citizenry. We call that politic. King of God and the gospel is political, just not in the ways we often think. And many times not in the ways we like. Because it's not subscribing to the empire's politics. Subscribing to the king of the kingdom and what he has said is just and unjust, good and right and true. That's the way of the kingdom. And that's the one to which we've pledged our hope. And we place our hope. And we find rest for our souls in this weary land. In this land that seems so committed to violence and fear and anxiety and hatreds of all kinds. And then we as the people of God are so tempted to pledge our allegiance to those causes that we lose our allegiance to the king. Christ the King Sunday is a Sunday where we reorient all that. Where we refuse to let anyone tell us what neighbor we can love. Where we refuse to let anyone tell us who we are allowed to welcome to the table of grace. Now, I love America. I love the freedom she provides. I love the warmth of it all. I love America. She's the best Babylon I know. But she's still Babylon. We are a colony of heaven in the midst of Rome. We are a holy nation. The word holy is important in the midst of all other nations in the world. On this Sunday, churches all over the world gather in Christ the King Sunday in whatever nation state they find themselves in and remember to whom and for whom they have placed their allegiance. They remember that our hope is truly built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. So how do we do this then, beloved? Don't worry, I ain't got like eight sentences left. How do we do this? How do we live as though Jesus is king in a society in a world that sometimes seems so off course? I've said this every year for 11 years. I say it again today. 
Hear me out, please. If I embrace any belief, no matter where it comes from, my mama, my grandmama, my granddad, my dad, my friend, my pastor, if I embrace any belief that runs contrary to what I see demonstrated in the life and teachings of Jesus, I need to rethink that belief. If I embrace any belief, any way of seeing the world that runs contrary to what I see in the life or teachings of Jesus, then I may need to ask, do I really trust him as Lord? Or have, have some time, some way, my allegiance shifted towards something else? We can remember to ask ourselves that question. And maybe it'd be helpful if we remember to ask ourselves one more. How will my neighbor come to know love from a God they cannot see if they cannot know love from a person they can see? Beloved, every day we have a choice. We choose to live by faith in view of the promised future that is ours under the lordship of King Jesus and embody it now or we serve the empire. We cannot have both. We cannot conform to the patterns of this world or this age, as Paul would say, or Babylon, as Paul would say, and faithfully be witnesses of the kingdom of God. Let's choose King Jesus because, beloved, he's chosen us. Jesus has chosen you. He's chosen you. Now, this is going to be hard, which is why we need each other. Am I right? It's going to be hard to figure out all the details as to what this means because we're going to be driven from one place to another. We're going to be persuaded to move toward one belief to another. We're going to see things happen in society. We're going to re react rather than respond, and it's going to be one thing or another. This is going to be hard, which is why then every week we get together, we come to the table. We come to the table together because we're acknowledging that it's hard. But you know what else we're acknowledging? That we don't have to figure it out alone. When you receive the bread and the cup, which in the Christian tradition, the bread is the body of Jesus and the cup is the blood of Christ. When you receive that, you're receiving God's pledge of allegiance to you. That you've been chosen just as you are, not as you should be. And that the love of God can transform you into who you can be. Here at the table, that's what we're doing every week. And when we do it together, we're remembering that we're not alone. We're not alone in this journey. We're not the only ones on the journey. It's not just up to us to figure it out. And sometimes I'm going to need some discernment. Sometimes I'm going to need somebody to tell me I've got it wrong. I'm going to need somebody in my life who comes to the table with me and say, Look, yo, like what you just said about Jesus doesn't look like Jesus that I know. So let's figure this out together. We need that together. That's what this table is about, that all of the differences are placed in submission to the kingship of Jesus. But if Jesus isn't the king, then there are going to be some things I won't submit to him. So every week this is an invitation to let go of what we're holding on to and receive the body and the blood of Jesus again every single week.
We need this. Sometimes I wish I could call every member of WCC and say, see you Sunday. And not because it's about church attendance, because that ain't it. It's to be at the table together. Because if we come to this table with the, with the heart and mind of people who have pledged our loyalty to Jesus, then all the ways that society tries to divide us is placed in submission here. Look around. Look around the room. All of the ways and all of the reasons that society says we should not be together is subverted at the table of the Lord. And that is the grace of the kingdom of God. That can be a witness. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.